0: And welcome to the Lebanese Politics Podcast. My name is Benjamin Redd. I'm joined, as always, by my friend, Nizar Hassan. Nizar, how's it going?
1: Great. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm doing good. This is our last show of the season. Season two done. Exciting. Last show of the year.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just the end of the year. So we take a Christmas break. So we call it a season. But yeah, I mean.
0: It's show business. Expect
1: season three in January.
0: Yeah. This is our last show of the year. and And we thought that it would be interesting this to sort of take a look back uh at the year i i, I was looking through a, a lot of the news over the past year in preparation for this episode and it it sort of struck me like oh my god i i have the like the memory and attention span of a gnat yeah. like, <laughs> like, like like literally things happen i don't remember them and i was looking back at this stuff oh that happened they this year so big back what? then
1: and now we're like right, we forget right.
0: but happened. all of these things also there seem to be these sort of like common threads mm-hmm. that just sort of Happened, and it, it almost seems, uh, you know, in hindsight, oh, all of these things sort of like added up to certain things that in hindsight seem inevitable, yep. uh, you know, uh, but at the time really didn't uh, look at that. So we're going to we're going to look at that in a minute. First, of course, we're going to take a, a quick, quick glance at uh, this past week. Quite a few things happened right after we finished recording last week. We we got the news that Samir Khatib had like withdrawn his candidacy uh, to be prime minister. So he's out. They postponed parliamentary consultations a a week. So we think that they're going to have parliamentary consultations on monday you'll probably know this by the time you're listening to this uh we Which don't know is yet. the
1: sentence that you have se- said most in uh, this podcast i like, know <laughs> the i know right the show
0: <laughs> yeah it, it, it would be really really kind of strange if they if they did go through it i mean like they're saying no we're going to really go through with it this time it, it would be kind of unprecedented if they did do that because they usually like to know what's going on in the consultations before they happen but who knows well we'll see it, it's been uh, 48 days without a fully empowered government so far, and mm-hmm. we haven't even had parliamentary consultations. So I think there is like some pressure, like, okay, at least we have to, we have to do some sort of constitutional theater here uh, <laughs> in order to justify this, uh, you know, prolonged void. This week, we uh also saw like this, this sort of interesting thing happened. At, at some point, a bunch of people, I think maybe partially, based on a facebook post that you put up uh <laughs> <True>. <laughs> about all of the uh former uh, uh ministers of public works you you had a facebook post about that right they got a whole lot of shares yeah
1: i'll tell you what happened okay. basically i i i went through i asked you actually on sap if you remember who were the people who had the public works ministry in the last whatever 20 years and you gave me the link so i went in and just did like this photo with the pictures of the Public works ministers who stayed more than six months, given the fact that, you know, if you say five months or four months, we don't expect you to do a lot of things. It's fine. Like if, if right. it's like a transition government or whatever. So it was only like five people, uh, Najib Mi'ati, Mohamed Safadi, Ghazal aridi uh, Ghaziz Aitir, and uh, Yusuf Fenanius, the, the current minister. So they were all kind of provocative names, except for the last one, maybe less provocative. All of them are like very provocative and people relate them to corruption, etc right and um so the as you said it went very viral and it was used in different ways and then we had calls for protests like spontaneous calls for protests uh, based on the text like you know these are the ministers that stayed more than six months in the uh, last 20 years and the public works ministries go around their houses and throw um, garbage at their houses so we did this uh, I was just like participating obviously I was not leading any of it <laughs> I was just like uh, participating with my, in my car going around their houses and you know chanting against them and some people are throwing uh, garbage and we went in Verdun to Ghaz al house and then we were t- give, making like a little turn to go to Ghaz al house and that's like a few hundred meters away from Ain'tini, where this uh, the, the, the Ain'tini is the headquarters of um, of Nabih Berri, of basically the Speaker of Parliament, uh, who has been Nabih Berri since uh, before I was born. So that's basically Berri's house. But uh, well, you were born.
0: After 92? Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so old. All right, yeah, all right. I'm so young. Anyway, (laughs) um,
1: so Berri's guards are basically what uh, soldiers, not soldiers, they're police force, but they respond to Berri rather than the ISF, the internal security forces, and they guard uh, Ainatini. They came from Ainatini to Verdun, where we were, and they blocked the road and they started Destroying like the windows, the windshields of cars, uh, attacking people who were uh, outside of the cars, like we were, people, some people were sitting, like you know. With their bodies outside of the car chanting and stuff it was a fun thing like it was not really aggressive or anything and no violence at all involved but they just destroyed everything like the cars the windshields the mirrors people uh, a couple of people were injured some of them comrades in our political group etc it was just a very dramatic ending to 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 this protest and it got a lot of outrage because it also showed again how basically Birri's entourage is, uh, is basically the most, and, and the berrri Hezbollah, basically uh, uh, coalition is this very scary um, uh, political act a, actor that is willing to always use violence, but also it kind of revealed how militia like is this whole uh, security system around the parliament that is basically around 900 people from the army and the isf who respond to Birri and are only responsible for protecting the parliament and the speaker so they're basically his little army and that's a lot of people and they can go very far and they are very public about it like we're amal movement we don't give a shit etc so it was very uh, provocative and and revealing
0: Right, right, um, and and we saw uh, we're recording this on Saturday, and and we see also see uh, just we we saw the news flash before we started recording that there are people in downtown, not parliamentary guard, but people associated with the Amal movement or supporters of the Amal movement uh, and Hezbollah, uh, you know, down there, yeah, burning banners uh, and and causing trouble once again, the chant Shia Shia Shia. Uh, was heard uh, which I mean explicitly sectarian obviously which it, it is another layer of this which uh, you remember we talked about what two weeks ago uh, with Rima Majid exactly uh, this week we also had a, a big uh, highfalutin meeting in Paris on Wednesday of the international support group for Lebanon it, and nobody was really expecting this to for the international community to come out and say, we're giving you $20 billion to save your economy, which is probably what it would take or something, right? (laughs) Uh, But uh, so obviously that did not happen. Uh, You know, they, they, they said basically Lebanese, you know, Lebanese people, you need to, Get your uh, shit sorted out. Uh, in their final communiqué, they said there's an urgent need for the uh, adoption of a substantial, credible, and comprehensive policy package of economic reforms to restore fiscal balance and financial stability. Basically, saying like, "Hey, you guys need to figure this out. Uh, we will we will be there to help you once you've got, you, mm-hmm. once you've got a credible plan in place and you're enacting it. But you, this is something you have to do yourselves." Also, this week we we had um, we also had
1: protests actually. While this meeting was happening, we had protests in Paris, and uh, they read a statement, uh, basically, uh, there were a couple of protests, because some people also affiliated with with the FPM were trying to change things or to to ruin the movement. But anyway, there was a protest against uh, the funding of the political elite in Lebanon saying, you can only fund like support Lebanon when you have a good government that people trust, when you have serious measures that are taken in terms of reform and, and corruption and independent judiciary, etc. So it was a good move as well, like directly addressing the, uh, the French government.
0: And speaking of that key term, Independent judiciary. We had another one of these really bizarre politicized spats that involved the judiciary this week, mm-hmm. um, and, and this was between an MP, a sitting MP, Hadi Obeyshavakar uh, of the Future Movement, and a judge uh, who we've spoken about numerous times on this podcast, Ghadaoun, who is the uh, basically the Attorney General for Mount Lebanon. And, and what had happened is this lawyer, who is very closely associated with the Free Patriotic Movement, uh, Wadiya Al, submitted a complaint. To Aoun, alleging, you know, bribery and issues of forgery and wasting public funds and legal enrichment, uh, stuff like that, about the director general of the uh, traffic management authority, Hoda Salum. Mm-hmm. And so Aoun, who is seen to be very closely associated with the Free Patriotic Movement, acted on this and ordered the arrest of Salum. Hobeish apparently is related to. Saloum and he stormed into alan's office and threatened her publicly and so that the two exchanged lawsuits alan and Hobesh exchanged lawsuits another judge came in and ordered that Salom be released but but really what this boils down to it, it it appears you know another one of these cases of just like oh the future movement and the free patriotic movement are really really going at it at mm-hmm. this sort of you know not not the hariri basia level or maybe not just the Hariri Basile level, but mm-hmm. down on, on this sort of like lower rung, this, this second tier of, of public officials and politicians.
1: One thing to mention about that, though, is that Hadi Hibesh was using the momentum against Ghada'an that existed in the street. Don't forget that people are protesting at her house because she was uh, ordering the arrest of protesters in June. So there is a momentum against Ghada'on. Nobody likes her in the street because she's been... It's the second time people are angry at her because she uh, ordered the arrest of protesters for doing nothing major. So that's why Hadi was trying to, you know, to come out as a hero from this whole story. Uh, But everyone, like, no one, like, buys this shit, you know. It was obvious. No, but
0: I mean, he he is a very prominent lawyer, a very prominent MP in the future movement. You know, you cannot look at this as d- being divorced from the spat that is currently ongoing between the FPM and the future movement.
1: And w- w- although I really dislike Radown's performance, and I don't think she's been like on the side, the right side of history at all as a like, a, in her position, I would say that Habesh is behavior uh going to her office and doing these things like basically saying you can't leave here you, you can't leave uh, your office and we're surrounding you or whatever all of this bullshit language as a politician you it's basically against the constitution you cannot do that you can't go and like force someone in the judiciary to be making choices like uh, like according to your will so right right that was really really uh, bad to see yeah uh
0: it, it, speaking of that higher level, though, of, of competition between the FPM and the future movement, Gibran Basile spoke, uh, was it Thursday, I think? A, l- a lot of people were saying that it was a really major thing, uh, what he was saying. I'm not convinced of that. Uh, but basically, he, he was saying, you know, if, if Hariri is going to be in in the cabinet, the FPM will not be a part of it.
1: Yeah, exactly. He said if if Hariri wants to be prime minister and doesn't accept anyone else, or if Hezbollah uh, insists on having Hariri for their own political reasons then we're out of the government and this was like the other part is also interesting that he basically addressed Hezbollah directly by saying if you still if you keep insisting on Hariri and I'm saying this publicly as Gibran Basil, you know this is the difference I think this is the, the interesting part more or less the fact that they said okay it's clear now that neither Hariri nor Basil will be in government more or less uh, if this is the position and the other thing is that uh, th- there's a bit of tension between FPM and hezbollah that was under the table and now was brought up with uh, basil actually saying stop insisting on hariri we're not going to accept him if we're not in, in the cabinet represented politically as a political movement meaning Jibran basil being foreign minister more or less so uh, w- what it prompted is a response from nasrallah i don't know if this was a theatrical play or if actually there was tension but a response from nasrallah the second day or on friday
0: yeah. And, and there there were reports as well that Basile had met with Nasrallah before Basile gave his uh, remarks on Thursday as well. So, I, I mean, but yeah, like Nasrallah comes out on Friday and says like, oh, no, no, the FPM is going to be in the next government.
1: And that's really, uh, he said a lot of things. That's the most important thing you need to know about this uh, speech is that basically we have a complete picture now. FPM will be in the cabinet, Hezbollah, and everyone will be except probably the LF. And as Basil said, it, they are only accepting, like they will only accept a government that is more or less technocratic in its, you know, in how it looks, not very, you know, without a lot of political faces, which means we probably won't see Ali Hassan Khalil or Gibran Basil or uh, Saad Hariri, but we will see all of their uh, technocrats and their people, people in their ministries that, you know, they trust.
0: Which this is nothing big. This is the road that we have been on for the past four weeks. You know, it, it it seemed quite obvious, like okay, after the last government fell, that okay, Basile for sure cannot possibly be in another government. If Basile's not going to be in, that means Hariri's not going to be in, and it also means Ali Hassan Khalil is not going to be in. So like, but clearly they're still going to be able to name some people, right? And so it's it's going to be somebody that Hariri trusts that he puts out there as the the prime minister, right? Uh, it, Back to our theory. Our theory, Rael Hassan is very well positioned here, extraordinarily well positioned here to be Lebanon's next prime minister. And, yeah. And, 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 and I mean, nothing that happened this week changed They haven't chosen the name
1: yet. It's, uh, we're recording this on th- Saturday. They might do it on Sunday, like really, just so that it, they don't give time for people to protest against it. I don't know. But they haven't done it yet. So uh, it's, it's usually at least leaked or talked about before it's uh, nominate, before any bloc goes to Baabda and nominates a person. Right. The prediction based on this moment on Saturday is that there will be no parliamentary consultations on Monday or at least no serious like uh, improvement, like no agreement on a prime minister because they have if, if the parliamentary consultations start, then they have to finish within. Uh, 72 hours and then you know a, a prime minister should be uh named uh appointed by by the president so during these three days they have to agree on someone
0: i mean that's not how it has to happen right they can they can have parliamentary consultations that are inconclusive but they don't want to do that yeah all right so so that brings us up to date where we're at right now it, it's interesting though because it's sort of like we're we're ending the year the year as we started you know like talking about government formation <laughs>
1: Yeah, talking (laughs) about government formation and also like protests, right? We started with protests against the right against some taxes that were talked about back then, gasoline tax, etc. And we ended with protests. It doesn't mean that actually a similar situation, to be honest, because it's like there is no government, there are protests, but What is possible, what is allowed on the political level is extremely different. Apart from the fact that, obviously, like we've had a period of no government that is much smaller than we've had in the beginning of the year. But also, what the political forces are allowed to do in this government is different from what they were allowed to do. So, in the beginning of the year, when they were forming the cabinet, they had the luxury of saying, "Okay, we want 30 ministers. Now, if they say 30 ministers, they will be like smashed by, by Are the you people you kidding in the me streets. yeah yeah is. like it's so outrageous uh, because it's just a waste of, of money just to represent everyone if they have uh, provocative political faces like they did in this cabinet they will also have the same problem they will have to uh, bring, bring people that will absorb the anger of the streets so the street became a very uh, important and basically powerful uh, political actor this is the thing that changed a lot the protest last year okay we reached 10,000 people in one of the protests that we talked about but it was nothing compared to the momentum that was created in the last two months that basically for the first time in, in lebanon's history we have this size of an independent political movement like overthrowing the prime minister without the involvement of the serious involvement of any major political forces or foreign intervention it's it's a very different moment uh, and the politicians are much more scared than they were one year ago for sure
0: and and this is largely made possible really by what's been going on in the economy uh with the financial collapse that we are we're witnessing we're, we're in the middle of right now you know if, if you if you look back uh, at the beginning of january like we knew Things were going really far off the rails, but I don't think that like this was not a a common knowledge or like commonly discussed thing or it wasn't front and center for a lot of people, certainly not for a lot of politicians, at at least as far as what they were really doing and what they how they were really acting now. At, at the beginning of the year, we had protests, uh, like like you said, we started out with protests that were related to the economy, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were related directly to the economy, directly to the taxes. Protests had economic demands, most of them. And also, um, you're talking... M-
0: much smaller protests than what yeah. we're seeing now, but but still. I yeah. mean,
1: much more than what we were seeing maybe one week, two weeks ago. But anyway, there was serious anxiety about the economy Uh, in December of 2018 a report had been released by Goldman Sachs saying basically you're going off like you're jumping off a cliff if you go in the same direction, you have to basically change your policies. Because otherwise you will see a financial collapse and people will lose uh, 65 cents to the dollar or whatever. It was like a damning report of the situation. Starting from that moment, like people were more, not because of the report, but this these couple of months were basically where people started talking more and more about the economy. But throughout the year, so many things happened related to that. In January, we had Moody's downgrading Lebanon, right? This was the first, right? It was the first agency.
0: Uh, Yeah, they were the first one to to move to uh, to to that level. Uh, And I mean, by a long shot, the first of the three big ratings ratings agencies and and that report as well, like they were just scathing, absolutely scathing in it. In hindsight, spot on. Right. (laughs) They 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 really judged the situation a lot better than their peers did at S&P and Fitch.
1: But also in January, we had this McKinsey report being released. The government kind of leaking, though it was not a final version. Uh, we don't know. Still, we don't know why they didn't like release an official final version. But anyway, we had this McKinsey report that is basically an economic plan for the new government to match the optimism that they tried to create. You know, especially Hariri and FPM about this government that it's going to be, you know, doing things and achieving things. In general, the problem is that the economic policy space in terms of what is what the government is considering doing was much narrower because the crisis was less manifested. It was much much less felt by people in general uh, as opposed to now. And it was also uh, the like things like capital controls, things like haircut, etc. were total taboos.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, and, and you, you would even speak to like economic experts and like people at the banks and they would literally scoff at you. If you yeah. mention this stuff, like, no, Riyadh Salameh has, you know, $35 billion in reserves. All this, like, it it, it really is amazing that the experts knew nothing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, because they believe the official stories, because we don't have transparency at all in our financial governance. For example, one of the things that were also a taboo was debt restructuring and debt rescheduling. And we saw this thing with, with the finance minister Ali Hassan Khalil mentioning it in an interview with Al-Akhbar. And Whoops. Going to regret it really <laughs> bad when basically uh, he's later invited to this economic meeting in Baabda with the real bosses of the economy, you know, the central bank governor, but more importantly, bankers themselves. And uh, he was basically invited to read the statement that contradicted what he uh, said earlier and yeah. said, mentioned, you know, no rescheduling no debt cancellation, don't worry, uh, you'll get your money bankrupt. And, like and this
0: was sort of like the the first of several like big economic meetings, like most of them yeah. at Babda Palace, right? Uh, yeah. And you're like, oh, we really got to fix this this time. Uh, but it, it's sort of like, it's, it's like the boy who cried wolf, you know, like they keep on doing these meetings, but we don't see anything out of them except sure. for these statements that come out, right? That he, everything is fine. I didn't mean restructuring, forget I said that, you know, hand wavy, it's all good. That It's just been like exactly. a, a, a film on repeat.
1: <laughs> exactly this was the situation back then because they were not forced to be like they were not as pressured as they are today although today they are still like not talking about fundamental measures but the experts are media is etc it's, it's a very different situation and normal in people poly- like discourse. Yeah. just
0: people are the, the level of financial literacy uh, you know especially since october 17th has just skyrocketed
1: and this whole austerity agenda of the government proved to be a bit of a joke. Like there was a lot of talk about austerity throughout, you know, April uh, when Hariri announced his huge austerity measures, and many politicians were talking about it. The budget was leaked, and and it had ten missing pages, pages which were the only ten important pages in the whole budget, <laughs> <laughs> explaining which which austerity measures will be taken. But we found them in the annexes, and we did an episode about it. If you remember, like detailing what it was basically just stupid like postponing infrastructural projects as if this is like you know fixing anything. Which they like do
0: every year now it seems. Yeah and
1: like okay stopping uh, like taking a bit out of the salaries of of public officials, of some public officials, uh, some uh, public sector workers being harmed as well. People who who take more than twelve months of salaries, or uh, people uh, who get military veterans who get their pensions, etc. In June, the government discussed the budget. There were protests against it, but it uh, like there were strikes as well in the Lebanese university because of the LU budget. But it passed anyway. In July, Parliament passes the budget and Raoun stops it. Then passes it like twelve days later, and then they go on this summer break where they do basically nothing. And all throughout this period, like we didn't see any serious measures to tackle the economic, you know, the economic indicators that we were worried about in the beginning of the year with the Moody's report and with the Goldman Sachs report. Right.
0: And, and just to be clear, that summer break was also because of the kabr Moon incident, which we'll talk about uh, in, in a minute as well. But yeah, it's just like, oh, well, we can't really do anything right now. Cabinet is just sort of frozen, frozen because exactly. of various factors. Once the copper moon whole thing gets resolved and everybody's back from their summer vacations and whatnot, a, a few things start happening, right? And and things start accelerating. So Fitch, another one of the ratings agencies, downgrades S and P. Hell study on that. Uh, the politicians had another one of these meetings where they declared a state of economic emergency, Ooh. which I have yet to find out what that actually means. If it actually has, I don't think that it has any actual value, like any legal value, but that's what they said, right? Yeah. Um, And they supposedly agreed on a number of reforms and everything, but then Hariri sort of backtracks and says, oh, no no, no, no new taxes, no new taxes, don't, don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is all, you know, the, the way the politicians are looking at this at this point is still sort of like through the a a certain economic lens that says you need to go with austerity Mm -hmm. that they're still thinking we need to do austerity we have to put our you know fiscal house in order and everything that's the way out of this crisis they don't quite realize that it's much much larger than this at this point it Mm -hmm. seems also so this is around like september right uh the lira starts to come unglued we have reports of like 1560 it should be you know trading between 1500 and 1515 but no it's you know 1560 That's quite a bit out After of that like range
1: 20 years of stability you know
0: right 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 it it eventually goes up and it breaks 1600 um and then and then keeps keeps going because the lira becomes unglued here we start seeing uh, especially importers very, very unhappy because they have to, you know, a lot of these uh, importers will get uh, will sell their products inside Lebanon in lira and they have to go and exchange those lira for
1: dollars. To pay for the international suppliers.
0: Exactly, exactly. And the banks stopped giving out the dollars at the official mm-hmm. rate. And so they had to go to currency exchangers who didn't have enough dollars. So by just simple supply and demand, the lira was going up. And the, of course, these these importers that were furious about this, yeah. you know, because they were having to eat the, uh, it, a lot of them, you know, like the, the, the fuel importers, they, they couldn't raise the price at the pump. You know, that, that's not allowed. Mm-hmm. So instead, they were basically having to, this was eating into their profits and they really, really didn't like that. So we had like gas stations going on strike, yep. you know, closing down a few times. And and we also heard these, you know, pretty dire warnings about like the wheat supply and about uh, medicines and drugs, right?
1: Yeah, so this was basically the moment where basically everyone was extremely alarmed about the, about the economy. The podcast turned more into a, a Lebanese economics podcast. It was all about the economy, not, right? Not Everything. for the first time, yeah. We, no. (laughs) Yeah, for sure
0: (laughs) we've been yeah very very focused on the economy i think basically ever since the end of the elections last year
1: (laughs) yeah but it's in this against this background that the uprising started and uh, october had many interesting things related to the the state of economic decision making as well hariri announced his reform paper that was not good, but it had some economic like uh, items that were not previously uh, considered, like attacks on banks and um, a few measures that were considered to be outside of Hariri's at least allowed uh, policies. At the same time, it was rejected in the streets. And uh, meanwhile, we had Salami speaking to, what was it, CNN? I believe CNN, yeah. And he said something like, we are within days of an economic collapse. Also, he regrets <laughs> like, it. I think,
0: which <laughs> is I mean, so out of character for some time. Every oh, yeah. time he opens his mouth, it is like Calm saying down. these yeah. very soothing, reassuring words: "I have thirty-eight billion dollars. Don't worry about mm. a thing. Everything's fine." And then he says the word, the magic word, "collapse," and everybody sort of freaks out. <laughs>
1: And then in November, Moody's uh, downgrades Lebanon again. And the biggest, perhaps, of all of these things happening is when the banks made official the the, the limits they had been putting on people withdrawing money from their accounts, from their accounts that legally supposed to be like current accounts that you can withdraw all your money from at any point. But if they're in dollars, especially, they're putting extremely low limits, ranging from one hundred. To three hundred dollars per week, sometimes per month, even depending on the bank. Now,
0: and that was when the banks were open because they were closed for you know most of, weeks, of the yeah.
1: the the first you know five weeks or so
0: after October seventeenth. They they were open something like seven days, and and so you, you, you literally the, the banking system sort of shut down, and they said, oh no no, you can just go to the ATMs, but no, you couldn't.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: A, a lot of times, the ATMs were out of cash, yeah, and if they did have cash, it was only lira, not dollars, which only stoked people's fears and. and and, and oh no, as soon as the bank opens, I need to go and get all my money out in mm, dollars. Yeah. but then they weren't allowed to. And so when ABL came came out with this, it, it was in in response to this, uh, the banks had all these different levels and everything. and uh, tellers they were, still
1: do to be honest they they just, they, they still do yeah. right.
0: It, so it was it was maybe a good step for ABL to sort of come and at least set a bar. But then the banks didn't really abide by it, and we saw like banks going lower and lower. And now, you know, we were hearing some banks, you know as low as two hundred dollars a week is all you can take out.
1: Yeah, which is because the ABL didn't set a minimum. it's just It set a maximum, more or less, right? It's it's basically the companies that need to withdraw some money to buy things from outside, to import or to pay salaries, etc. People who just need to pay their rent or whatever it is they have, if they get their money in dollars in the bank, they can't do it anymore. It's affecting everyone. A lot of comp- companies are going bankrupt. A lot of workers are being fired or their salaries has be, are being cut. Economic disaster, basically, is happening. We had another economic uh, meeting in Baabda as well that said, no haircuts, no death restructuring, scheduling, blah, blah. But it was not really taken as seriously as the ones before because, now all the experts are saying, okay, what is, what kind of, you know, that rescheduling should work, what kind of haircut or no haircut, but like what kind of one-time tax, you know? Right. And, we've, and not only
0: that, like I was uh, saying earlier, we've seen this film before. We've seen everybody meet up in yeah. Babda and come out and before it was everything's fine. And now they're basically saying, well, there's a situation, but we're not going to do any of the solutions that all of the experts are saying this is your this is your choice a b or c pick one and they're saying none of the above yeah. which is incredible
1: is incredible so and uh, bdl lowering the interest rates uh, through a circular that we talked about tra- last week and basically um, saying to lenders like you'll get what you owe us what we owe you in dollars you'll get you know half in dollars and half in the pounds on the official rate means you know you're basically paying back less than what you owe was also one of these major steps that were not at all in the sphere of consciousness of like the, uh, these decision makers so we're in a very different situation uh, as for a summary Uh, but another another important takeaway is that we're in in a point where basically the economy has been politicized much more than it was in the beginning of the year like we were hoping that people would be protesting about the economy in the beginning of the year if you remember we were like oh we wish people would talk about these things and then now it's basically public discourse everyone is talking about the economy every day because although it's because of like very dramatic deterioration of living conditions but it's also because it has been put on this public sphere on like the media is talking about the economy all the time. Uh, politicians are on, cannot avoid the economy and protesters and organizers. So by default, basically everyone is talking about
0: it. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so while all of this is happening with the economy and the lira and all of that stuff, we have cabinet also. The, the, the political game is ongoing and the politicians, while they have started to pay a lot more lip service to, to doing things with the economy, really what they have been, engaged in over the past year, I believe, is is really just the same game uh, that they're playing with each other. They, they view it as, you know, it, it's a game of chess with with the other Zouama, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so we saw this. There was there was no cabinet at the very beginning of the year. Then they formed one on January 31st. It won the confidence of parliament very quickly on, on February 15th. But then there were these sort of like immediate issues that popped up. Uh, you know, one of the FPM ministers popped up in Damascus, you know, in February. In, in a very clear push to try to start to normalize relations between Beirut and Damascus which which led to a big dispute there were uh, one of the cabinet meetings uh, on February 21st was, had was broken up early but I mean this is one of the very first meetings that they have after they win confidence and they're not able to meet for a full uh, session of, uh, of cabinet because because of this issue mm-hmm. right? Um, at, at the same time, you know, one one of the one of the big things was especially after such a long cabinet formation period, they were trying to get the train back on the tracks sort of. And so we saw this big push to, oh, OK, we need to pass a budget because we haven't done that. And and also, if we ever want to see these CEDRA funds, we have to have a budget. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so they started this process, which meant talking about the austerity and stuff like that in order to meet these, mm-hmm. you know, insane uh, uh, stipulations under Cedra of reducing the budget deficit and then we also saw them start to play politics with corruption right and and which is like it's an old sport in Lebanon like accuse the Mm. other guy of corruption and all this stuff but but there were some very interesting things that happened in this Uh, you you remember the state hiring scandal where it came out that Thousands of people have been hired illegally, despite the hiring freeze and all this stuff, amidst the the fiscal crisis and all this stuff. You know, so the state is paying more money than it should. So that happened. And by the way, I'd completely forgotten about that story <laughs> before
1: <Yeah>. yesterday, because <laughs> we didn't see any uh, anything like come out of it. Nothing's really, really
0: come so. out of this, right? It, it, it's it's another one of these like political footballs type mm-hmm. things. We we saw uh, Hezbollah leading the charge once again about this uh, eleven billion dollars that was. Lost under uh, the Senora administration, and then the Senora came out and had this press conference where he defended himself, threw some shade at the director general, the longtime director general of the Ministry of Finance, Ellen Bifani. Biffani unprecedentedly like came out and hit back at him. You know, you're mm-hmm. not really supposed to play politics if you're like a bureaucrat, right? But cabinet itself did have a few things that they 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 started to get get done. There was a big push, especially on the electricity file, uh, which we saw Nadaboustani the energy minister, unveiled uh, the, the, the plan to fix electricity, finally, fix electricity in Lebanon, and, and that was adopted by the cabinet. So good job. They, they, they started to do that. I, I believe they, they adopted it in April, uh, you know, pretty pretty quick, right? And then also on the garbage file as well, Fadi Jirisati really, you know, took the bull by the horns and tried to get something done on that front. That ultimately seems to have completely failed. And, you know, now it seems they're just going to expand the Birch Hamoud landfill.
1: I mean, expand the Birch Hamoud the landfill and, and create the uh, incinerators, which people do not approve of at all. And no one will accept in their area. So the, the, well, that's part of the roadmap
0: well. that he signed off on. But who knows whether that will actually happen. Exactly. Right? OK, so so things, though, were sort of starting to get done. But then we had the Karashamoun incident. I'm not going to go into all the details of it, but basically Basile tried to visit Jumblatt's area, and they weren't having it, and something happened and you know each side said the other started it. Uh, there was a shootout. Two people who were traveling with a minister who was not not uh, not Gibran Basile, but with an ally of Gibran Basile uh, died in this, and there was this huge political blow up of mm-hmm. this that stopped all cabinet work for like 39 days. And, and this is really sort of the moment where all of these wonderful best laid plans, despite, you know, playing some politics here and there, the cabinet just isn't able to recover from this and actually do anything. Because once they get back, the economy is starting to become unhinged mm-hmm. from things and everything just starts to fall to pieces after this. And so they uh, they sort of pivot, right, to the economy. And so we see this really big push from like Alan and Hariri and, and these politicians, you know, flying around trying to get Cedar money ultimately also fails and and then things just start to get worse and get worse like we were talking about like the peg starts to go people start doing strikes stuff like that there are demonstrations starting to happen and then of course the big demonstration that breaks out after the cabinet had met and, and tried to do another austerity thing right
1: Yeah, I mean, it was the week of wildfires. never forget the wildfires. I think they provided the psychological background for everything because people felt how incompetent. And all of what you've been describing is basically just a description of how incompetent our political class is. And the wildfires had uh, one aspect of it, which is how the state could not manage the wildfires because it was not paying the maintenance fees for helicopters. And this was really like it added to the, to the frustration and instead of like ad- claiming responsibility political officials were like trying to make a different story out of it you know uh one of them talking about a sectarian background to the wildfires mario uh, on from fpm others just blaming something else it's basically no one claiming responsibility no one showing competence and then on that wednesday uh october 16 right we have The cabinet approving a WhatsApp tax, uh, the most stupid and regressive tax that has ever been enacted probably by any government. 20 cents (laughs) on every first WhatsApp call during the day. And this was basically the final straw. The uprisings begin. And then Hariri resigns. So basically, we have a year where we started with no government. And then we had a government that shows uh, political sizes. And basically, it's like a big pie that they were all sharing. Uh, It had a lot of big plans of what it wanted to achieve. It really didn't achieve anything. By the end of the year, we can say that it didn't achieve any of the major plans it wanted to achieve. Right. But it, what it revealed is that this political class is extremely incompetent, and it paved the way for uh, a popular uprising that has that is unprecedented against it.
0: And so, like from a political perspective, just the the positioning of, of, of what happened here, the the reason that this cabinet existed basically was this deal between Aoun and Hariri right yeah and that has basically fallen apart it it, it, it no longer exists at, at least in 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 any real <laughs> real way that, that you could actually see something getting done uh it, it has to be renegotiated if it's to come back
1: definitely right? because Basile made it very clear if Hariri is in we're out so what is this deal where Aoun is president and Hariri is prime minister <sighs>
0: Yeah, yeah yeah and
1: the, the people who made it disappear are the people in the streets and this is something that is also historically very interesting right that independent people like just like impose a different political situation where strongest political blocks these are the two biggest political blocks in parliament they cannot anymore do their deals uh, without the approval of the streets
0: And of course, these are backed by Hezbollah as well, the, you know, the the third component. So basically, you you can look at this through a very, very sectarian lens. Uh, You know, you've got the largest Christian party, the largest Sunni party backed by the largest uh, Shia power and Hezbollah. They've been sort of like on their own little journey this year as well, which is really dealing probably more with with international issues than than what's been going on inside the country. Basically, they have been under an unrelenting assault from the United States and from others in the international community throughout this year. The, the U.S. has just been on a roll with with a number, you know, sanctioning a number of uh, suspected financiers. Uh, of course, all of this happens without any sort of due process, uh, I should mention. So they, they're coming under a, a lot of uh, financial pressure from these sanctions mm-hmm. and, and Nasrallah has has even said uh, basically as much. It, at the same time, you know, we had the U.K. banning Hezbollah in its entirety, not just not no longer making that distinction between their political branch and their uh, military uh, branch and Ar- Argentina listing Hezbollah as a terrorist organization as well, and and all of this has just you know been building and building and building throughout the year with basically a group of international actors led by the United States, led by the you know the the, the far right administration, the very hawkish administration in Washington right now, trying to corner Hezbollah as much as possible, mm-hmm. right? And so they're they're certainly feeling a, a pinch. Uh, you know, mm. from, from these sanctions. And I, I think that that sort of informs their thinking of, of what happens on October 17th. Yeah, I
1: think what we can conclude is definitely that Hezbollah used all of this attack because this attack is happening, right? This, this basically um, coordinating of Hezbollah is happening, but it's not happening on the domestic level. It's happening on the international level. On the, on the domestic level, it's part of the government. It's basically, it has more political leverage than probably it ever had. It's not uh, in a weak position, but what Hezbollah did is basically, because it's the strongest political force, because it's the military force as well, uh, it could play the role of the counter-revolutionary guard, like basically the political actor that is ready to take on the battle against the revolution on behalf of all of the political establishment. Because it has this narrative of being targeted and the resistance being targeted, ready to be used and it was so easily like used in these different places uh to say you know all of this is part of a conspiracy against us the other parties did not have strong narratives to to back like this this very provocative stance of like standing in 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 front like opposing a popular uprising that most people see it very positively you know also in terms of political positioning jumblat has had an interesting year clashing with hariri insulting him on many like on, he's on been one, all over the place oh yeah. yeah yeah clashing with hariri hezbollah and the fpm on the, in different levels right hezbollah when he when his minister uh Fa'our, industry minister canceled the um the license for the cement factory of pierre Fatouche and hezbollah boycotted Jumblatt because of that with the fpm and the whole qabrish moon incident where it was basically people of his supporters who shot and killed allegedly the, the the two people who were killed in that incident and other incidents with the FPM as well. And with Hariri on, on a couple of occasions, one of which he basically called Hariri someone who is vague in his colors and ignorant about history and geography. And, you know, saying like, uh, you know, uh, another
0: time he mocked him as your majesty, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, he basically
1: he mocked but- him and he 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 basically broke this kind of. Sacred alliance between the Jumblats and the Hariris that gave, you know, this uh, March 14 thing, or like, uh, at least in the in the current, uh, in the more recent times, it, it it provided Hariri with a strong support from, you know, a, the, the main Druze actor.
0: Yeah, it, it, but I mean, this is enduring because at the end of the year, what do we see? We see Jumblat is back basically in the Hariri camp. Right? Kind of
1: the same, kind of the same spot. Yeah. Uh, maybe... When we saw, for example, uh, people demanding the resignation of the government, what was saying, if Harir wants to resign, then we resign together. It was like, you remember, we were making fun of it as as if it's a party plan or whatever. But uh, but now we don't know what (laughs) Jumlat's position will be. But it seems that they will be participating in the government, at least naming the ministers, but not partisan ministers and the next government. So it's back to square one. Nothing really changed. Just part of the theatrical plays that we see in Lebanese politics,
0: as opposed to the Lebanese forces, which has decided, no, we're going to be outside of any new government. Basically, taking a page from the Kataeb playbook, but executing it much better. To be honest, <laughs> from a much, much much stronger position, anyway. Yeah. yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely. And Birri, out of in in all of this situation, Biri maybe the strongest actor in the administration to be to be serious. Like he's basically the Zaim and the Lebanese post-war Lebanese politics has been kind of mysterious, like you don't know where Biri stands because he has this beef with Aoun that is, or with Basil that is so clear. At the same time, he is a very loyal ally to Hezbollah and kind of, he's not opposing Hezbollah on any, like he hasn't opposed Hezbollah on any of its political choices. So they're kind of this Shiite duo you know and that's what everyone's calling them in the media. They kind of established this idea that Amal and Hezbollah are kind of a twofold, but one political actor, they make decisions together and they have the same interests. Which is interesting, especially that Barry is old and um, who's going to take the popularity of Amal movement uh, once he passes away. If that happens to this person, I'm not sure. But if this happens, then, you know. Hezbollah will, will probably be uh, much in a much stronger position than Amal movement, especially organizationally, etc., to be taking the lead on the Shiite uh, sphere.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And and one other thing that that Berri sort of unwittingly offers Hezbollah is that if uh, protests get much worse in the coming year, then you know Berri is seen by, I would say, an overwhelming majority of Lebanese as extraordinarily corrupt. Mm-hmm. Uh, even um, among Shiites, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, Right. And so if things really do get very, very bad for Hezbollah, then they've got a very sort of an easy scapegoat to be like, okay. Be yeah. your time is done it's time for you to hang up your your speakers whatever a speaker carries your speaker's pen you know mm. uh, he has this hammer I think but anyway oh, yeah, yeah, the you're gavel, making the gavel. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, the gavel yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway I mean this is in terms of the political positioning nothing really changed from the beginning of the year to the end except for the collapse of the deal between PM and, and Hariri and this like new positioning of Hezbollah as an aggressive political actor more or less that is more explicitly you know playing politics in the real way and, and revealing itself as the main decision maker in Lebanon when it comes to what can and what cannot happen. And this is empowering more and more the rhetoric that it says basically Hezbollah is the backbone of the Lebanese system, which is said by a lot of people in the independent movements, but also empowering the, the LF kind of rhetoric, the Lebanese forces rhetoric that says Hezbollah is actually who decides and FPM are just allowing Hezbollah to rule Lebanon with a, giving, him, giving them Christian uh, legitimacy. Uh, so we're gonna see, we're gonna be seeing a lot of this politics in the near future for sure, especially from the Lebanese forces. And if we have an election soon, early elections or the normal elections in twenty twenty two, I think we'll be seeing a more and more of this rhetoric because it has very recent uh, examples that they can, you know, refer to.
0: Before doing this episode, I re- I re listened to our end of year episode uh, from last year, and, and it was kind of funny because we we sort of came to the conclusion that like two thousand eighteen was just bullshit. Yeah, you're like there, uh, there was elections, but like things basically ended the same way as they'd start. and <laughs> yeah. it started. It was just like nothing got fucking done. It was all of this yeah. was for nothing. I don't think that we can say the same thing about two thousand
1: nineteen. We can't. No, I think a lot of things really changed, and the most important one will be, in my opinion, the fact that you know the independent uh, streets and the unpredictable popular reaction to this to political decision making has become like one of the main. You know, factors that you have to consider in any, any like in the political equation. Like before that, no one really cared about what people thought in the streets. Now they give it, they give people a listen and also they, they kind of, and they have a much narrower uh, range of choices uh, when it comes to uh, to policies.
0: Right. A, a, a year ago, it would be unthinkable to have a government without Gibran Vassil. Now it is unthinkable to
1: have a government with Gibran Vassil. Exactly. This is the best example you can give. And also, it was a year that kind of revealed the nastiness of Lebanese politics and all its, uh, its sides. It revealed the extreme incompetence, as we said, of the government and of the political elite and managing managing such a de- dangerous economic situation um and,
0: and and also the sort of like the the rot. We didn't get into this quite as much in this episode, but just sort of like the rot in uh, the judiciary. Being yeah. politicized uh, in the security services, uh, it, it, I mean, there's there's a whole lot there that really sort of has come out into the open mm-hmm. in a way that was impossible, like un- unthinkable a year ago. But now, because the, the economy has just gone off the rails, people are thinking, you know, it, these thoughts and and realizing, oh wow, like no, this this is so bad that like we can actually and we can actually say it's that bad mm-hmm. because it's the politicians. Because what do we have to lose now?
1: yeah and people have made it very clear that they don't trust the political elite like the revolution or the uprising has been like the biggest sign that you can give someone that's saying you know fuck off like we don't trust you at the same time people are understanding how change in the Lebanese system is so slow and has to be slow because the way that these political elites control the system is a very sophisticated way they control all aspect of it Uh, the public sector and the private sector part of like you know this the, the board of management controls both of them both of them really uh, both spheres of decision making and there is one thing that is good about this is that it uh, maybe restores interest in politics and getting politically involved especially with the economic affairs becoming more and more politicized as we say this is an opportunity for progressive politics to be growing in the future we're noticing this in lihaq we have plenty of people like joining the organization now saying like we want to take this we want to take our activism to the next level like in terms of serious political engagement because we think that nothing will change except if we change the people in power and that's I think a great thing so maybe maybe that's the positive note that I can I think we can end on um, when we look at this year. But in general, the economic situation and what is being done about it is in a totally different place. It's, it's really... Yeah,
0: I, I feel like with all of this stuff, it's sort of a... We're in a weird position to be sort of like, let's sum it up right now because I... I I really do feel that both with the uh, economic situation and with the political situation, we're sort of, we're in the middle of the story, you know, Mm. like things are trending downwards economically and financially and, and the politicians, you know, there, there has been, you know, like their range for maneuver, like you say, has been restricted quite a bit, Mm. but we still have the same actors calling all the shots. And I just feel that in the coming year is really when we're going to see how all of this actually plays out, uh, you know whether for, for better or for worse. Uh, right now it, it just feels to me like we're, we're you know we're hundred pages into like a, a 300 page novel you know
1: yeah and also the the anxiety that we're all in right now makes us it makes it very difficult to kind of imagine the future like because if it's bleak you don't want to imagine it and if it's positive you can't because of how bleak the current moment is and how much anxiety there is. So it kind of affects our perspective but uh, if we just when we look at it like the, the continuity of things, Throughout this year, from last year, throughout this year, we know that the direction we're going, like towards, is a very dangerous one unless very serious uh, measures are taken by political decision makers. We talked about those in the the great episode with uh, Jad Chaban about restoring economic confidence, and there are many other proposals maybe that we didn't mention. There is a way forward. A lot of people have the ideas. It's really just uh, depends on on politicians and what they will prioritize in the coming phase.
0: All right. Well, I think we're going to have to leave it on that note then. We're, we're done for the year. Uh, unless something crazy happens, we will try to come to you with some sort of, like if, if cabinet is formed or something like that, we'll try to come to you. Otherwise, have a great holiday season, everybody. We will see you in January. I'm Benjamin Red. I'm Nizar Hassan. And this has been the Lebanese Politics Podcast.
1: Japanese Politics Podcast is brought to you by myself, Nizar Hassan, Benjamin Red, produced behind the scenes by Susan Wilson, and the music is by Omar el